Evangelism always kind of scared me, um, talking to people about the gospel. And I, I think it's because of the context that I was used to doing it in. We'd go down to maybe 3rd Street and I'll go and pass out tracts and try to talk to people about the gospel. And it wasn't a natural part of my life. It wasn't just sharing who I was with somebody I knew. For the past several years, we've been trying to figure out what it means to be the church. And the thing we've been talking so much about over the last year especially, but even going back before that, is the idea of community and what it means to be a community of believers and what that means for us as a church. So we were just kind of praying and thinking, well, how can we get to know our neighbors? And um, so we decided, hey, let's go for a walk outside and see if we can meet people. <laughs> you know, pretty simple. You know, if, if you can go and, and show them that you care for them enough to take your time, mm-hmm. your family's time away, and, and um, serve them in some way, you know, maybe they can open up, maybe you can open up, or maybe you can just show them that, you know, we do care about others. And um, I don't think it's as prevalent as it should be in our society right now, of course. Instead of just not paying attention to people that are around me, to actually interact with them and know that I care about them. And part of that's just like when I go to the grocery store, go to the checkout line, I don't just say, hey, you know, whatever, what's going on? (laughs) How are you doing? Actually talk to them and ask them questions. And it's been really cool. I've gotten to know some of them pretty well. Like they know who I am when I go there now. You see, the call of the gospel is a call that transforms our entire lives. That God calls us into something that isn't just an add-on or to get into heaven when we we die, but instead God has called us into something that is to transform our very lives. It is to transform not just the way we think, but the way we live. And not just the way we live on the weekends, but the way that we live all through the course of the week in everything that we do. Through the community and what um, has been happening at Cornerstone, I think a lot of us just realized that we started to compartmentalize our lives. We started to do ministry when we were at church and when we were um, at ministry events. And then the rest of our lives we just kind of looked at as, as our thing. You know, I, well, why are you in Burbank? Well, because I moved here to go to school. And, and why do you have the job you do? Well, because, you know, I interviewed and that's what I wanted and I got it. And, and it wasn't something that our relationship with God permeated every part of it. I more than anything want to be obedient to God, you know, and and to love Him with all my heart. And um, that, like, that makes, that that makes it to where when when you read things like love your neighbor as yourself and uh, stories of like the Good Samaritan, it makes me question, okay, am I doing that with the people that I see around me that are in need? Am I doing that with every opportunity that I have? Now sometimes the idea of gospel and the idea of community, these seem like very simple ideas, but at the same time, we're all trying to work through what exactly does this look like in our lives? What does this look like in the life of Cornerstone? And so we've put together a conference to help us think through these issues. So as part of the conference, we're going to focus on how the gospel gets lived out in all sorts of different everyday situations that you all find yourselves in. We're going to talk about how the gospel gets lived out in your marriage and in your home, how it gets lived out in parenting, how it gets lived out if you're single, how it gets lived out if you're on a college campus, how it gets lived out in your workplace, and how it gets lived out in your neighborhood with the people that live right around you. What I love about this conference is it doesn't just give us more things to think about, but it's going to help us actually live out true Christianity in the context of our everyday lives.
I'm excited about this conference coming up because every year around that time we've been doing this global ministries conference where we focus on the world out there. And the reason why we started with this was a few years ago we realized, man, we, we only think about ourselves and we're not thinking about the rest of the world. And it didn't make sense to us that there were thousands of people dying every single day. Thousands of people every single day from, from things that we could help them with, you know, from preventable diseases. It didn't make sense that God would want his people just kind of gathering and having Bible studies with each other. You know, because most people don't have the luxury of doing that, sitting around and just talking theology and and arguing with each other and thinking, wow, we're really serving God. It's like most people, man, they're just trying to fight to live and they've never even heard the basics of the gospel. So we we started this focus on those overseas over the last few years. As you well know, anyone who's been a part of Cornerstone knows that that's been such a huge focus of ours and rightly so. But in doing that, it's, it's interesting because pretty soon we can start thinking that, well, if I write a check and, and care for these people overseas, then I'm doing it. And yet there's this other side of things, too, where even right here in Simi Valley or Burbank or out in the valley or Ventura, wherever you come from, God wants us to live out the gospel in our communities. And what do we do for those of us? whom God still has here in the States, those of us whom he has here in Southern California. How do we live out the gospel? And so we're going to focus on that because sometimes I think, uh, not that it's easier, but it's, I think sometimes it's easier to stay focused when you're overseas. And here sometimes we live as though today really we weren't on a mission. Today we just woke up and went to church and did our Sunday thing rather than really living missionally, living a gospel-centered life. And so what, that's what that uh, conference is going to be about. And so uh, we're looking forward to that. Um, regarding last week, uh, sorry, um, <laughs> it, it was just, you know, I look back at uh, last Sunday and I think, man, I don't believe that it's just... You know me. I just go, you know, that's life. Deal with it. Move on. But I, I, I looked at all the events and there was a bunch of little things. You ever have that happen where it's not like something major? In fact, it's almost easier if it's something major. You deal with it. It's head on. It's warfare. But then when it's all these little things coming at you and it's being tired and grouchy and everything else, it's just like... It was like the perfect storm, and, uh, and I just really believe that it was masterminded. Um, I really do. I don't think that it was just life or whatever. I really believe they're, they're, that Satan's alive and well. And even as I look in the church and, and look at different marriages and look at different people and, and their struggles lately, it's at another level. I mean, it's on. It is, it is just, it's the real thing. I believe God's doing some amazing things through some of your lives, and Satan's going to do everything he can to destroy it. But he's not going to win, because the gates of hell, exactly. The Bible's so clear that God is going to build his church, and the gates of hell aren't going to stand against that. And so we keep fighting, we keep moving forward, and it's just, it's just things are great. Things are great once again. And um, in fact, yesterday, yesterday I was speaking out in Memphis, and uh, I, I took my wife with me because I figured, oh, it's Valentine's Day. Why don't you fly with me? And, uh, and I don't know about you, but for me, there's just something about being close to Elvis that um, it just it's good for the marriage. It's good for everything. Um, 
I could talk about him all day, but turn to Philippians 3. <laughs> no, it was weird though. I mean, it's just weird. People that are just obsessed, man. It's like, come on, he's dead. Philippians 3. I just, I am loving this passage. I am so loving this passage. Philippians 3, verse 1. Because Paul here is talking about just being absolutely obsessed with Jesus Christ. Just consumed, absolutely consumed, where everything is about Jesus. It's not about balancing your life and making sure you add a little, you know, religion to your... No, it's just, he's all that matters. This is all about Jesus, 100%. And, and that's why he says in verse 1, he goes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. First thing, you just rejoice in the Lord. I don't, I don't know if you were doing that today when you read those verses that we put up on the screen about the cross, but it's like, oh, that's so good. That's so good. Everyone you're reading, you just go, oh, that's so good. And just the excitement of that. And then singing these words about the cross and going, man, that is just so right on. That's just what I need. Because if you rejoice in other things, other things in life are going to be up and down. Yeah, and, and they're going to affect your mood. But if you rejoice in the Lord, you've got that constant of Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's always on his throne. And to think that we, we have him as our savior and we have intimacy with him and a friendship with him. You just go, man, that's, a, that's that one constant in my life. And so Paul says, rejoice in that. Don't let anyone stop you from rejoicing in that. And he goes, I'll repeat myself and tell you to rejoice in that. And he goes, and it's no trouble because we need to be reminded, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says in verse 2, he goes, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So, so he says, okay, you guys, we, we, we need to rejoice in the Lord and look out for these people that are going to keep you from focusing on Jesus. And he calls them dogs. Now, when you hear the word dogs, you go, aw. That's not what they were thinking when you heard the word dog. Dogs were disgusting. It was the scum of the earth, these scavengers. In fact, what's interesting is he's talking, here he's talking primarily to this group called the Judaizers, these Jewish people who were so focused on the law. And he refers to them as dogs. And the reason why that's so interesting is that's the term the Jewish people used to refer to everyone else as, who didn't believe in Yahweh God who didn't believe in the goodness of God and his righteousness and his promises but instead people were just doing their own thing and trying to find their own gods and they were trying to you know create these own systems of righteousness on their own and they're saying man you're not believing in the true God you dogs and so Paul flips that around he goes wait a second now you guys are the ones that aren't you know relying on the promises of Yahweh now suddenly you guys are the ones that have created this own system and made it into this work thing and made it all about you and he says you're the dogs he calls them dogs he calls them evil doers and and you gotta understand this is a foreign thought to those of us in southern california 2009 because to be politically correct you don't call anyone a dog right everyone's a good person you know, and so if they created a system of works where they think they're going to get themselves to heaven, you know what? They're good people because they're working, right? And they're trying. That's not the way people spoke. That's not the way the Apostle Paul taught. He calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers. 
Why? Because they're taking the focus off of God and putting it onto themselves and putting confidence in their own flesh. In fact, he, he refers to them as those who mutilate the flesh. It's kind of a weird thing to talk about, but, but let's talk about circumcision. Um, it's understand in the Old Testament. When God instituted this idea of circumcision, it the point of it was to. Uh, to align yourself, to separate yourself and saying, you know what? I'm a believer in the promises of Yahweh. I believe in his goodness. I believe in his promise of a deliverer. I believe in him. It's your way of saying, you know what? Look, I'm aligning myself with him. It's like putting on a team jersey, saying I'm a part of this team. And a little more painful, but I, I'm aligning myself with this team. I'm one of those who believes in the goodness of Yahweh. But what these people did, see... It was never meant to be a work by which you earn the favor of God. It was just your way of saying, no, I believe in the goodness of Yahweh God. I believe in his faithfulness and I align myself with him. But what people began to do here in, in Paul's time was they were taking these types of things and making them works in, in order to earn this righteousness. So I do this, I do this, I do this, and then I'll gain this favor with God and earn this righteousness. So Paul doesn't even believe that they have the right to call what they're doing circumcision. He uses a different phrase and, and says that you're mutilating your flesh. You're like, like trying to do something, cut yourself up for the sake of your own glory, for your own righteousness. And he goes, you know what, beware of people like that. They're saying, you do this, you do this, you do this, and then you'll, you'll get the grace of God or you earn favor. He goes, those are dogs. Those are evildoers. Stay away from that. Don't, don't call them good people. Yeah, they're trying to keep you from trusting in the promises of God, trusting in the promises and the goodness and the forgiveness and the grace of God himself. He goes, meanwhile, you guys, you rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in what you've done. That's what these people are doing. He says, we're the true circumcision. We who worship by the spirit of God. Now he says, we're, we're the real thing. He goes, when we worship by the spirit of God. When you hear the phrase, worship by the spirit of God. Most of you think of singing. Um, because we've reduced this idea of worship to singing songs. You guys, that is not what those people thought. When this was written, when they heard that word for worship here, they were not thinking about singing. In fact, this particular word for worship has the idea of servanthood. It has the idea of service. It had the idea of coming under someone. And he says, you know, we are the true circumcision. We're the ones that are really following because we're coming under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's the person who's saying, you know what, if that's what the Holy Spirit of God wants me to do, I'm going to come under that. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to follow that. I'm going to put myself under that. And that's much harder than singing to actually worship by the Spirit as he's talking about. It's those of us who glory in Christ Jesus. We brag about what Jesus did on the cross. We, we brag about him rising from the dead. We glory in him, not what we pulled off. He goes, here's, here's the real followers of Yahweh. They're the ones who, you know, who glory in Christ. And then he says, and they put no confidence in the flesh. And I hope that's you this morning. I hope you don't come in here thinking, oh man, you should have seen all the things I did this week. And you just have a confidence in what you've pulled off. 
You see, this isn't a gathering of a bunch of people that are so confident because of what they've been able to do on their own and by their own power. He says the true followers of God were the ones that trusted in him. They gloried in him and what he did and not in their own actions. And then Paul says something really interesting. He starts, he starts saying, you know what? Those guys that are bragging about that stuff, he goes, I've done more than them. He says in verse 4, he goes, though I myself, I, I actually have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul goes, man, these guys are bragging about all the things they've done. He goes, you know what the truth is? The truth is I've done more than every single person over there. He goes, if someone wants to brag, he goes, I should brag. He goes, if we want to talk about, hey, what did you accomplish in the flesh? He goes, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a true Jew. He goes, I was circumcised on the eighth day, the tribe of Benjamin. He goes, you want to talk about the law? He goes, I was a Pharisee. You got, everyone knew about Paul. He's saying, I was a Pharisee. Man, I, I, was, I was the top dog. I knew the law. He goes, you want to talk about zeal and having a passion for God? He goes, remember, I was the one that was so passionate about this stuff that I was actually persecuting the church. I was actually killing Christians because I was so against this stuff. So you want to talk about someone who's pulled off, been there, done that. I've done it all. He goes, but having all of that, he goes, I count it all as loss for the sake of Christ. He goes, I don't stand here bragging about all those things. I've done more than every single person there. Whatever they brag about, I got more to brag about. But I don't care. I count it all as loss. And then he goes on. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He he takes it a step further. He goes, not only do I count all of my, you know, achievements and my history, and, and I don't know if you do that, if you, you think, hey, I come from this lineage of really rich people, or I come from, you know, this is my dad, he's this famous person, or my grandfather. He goes, you know what, not only do I count that loss, he goes, I count everything loss. Everything's loss. N- nothing compares to this surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. He goes, Jesus is everything now. All that stuff I used to love, I don't love anymore. Not only do I count it all lost, but he goes a step further and he says that I have suffered the loss of all things. He goes, so I'm not just one of these who talks about how I don't care about that stuff. I actually freely gave it all away. I suffered the loss of it all. So he takes it a step further. He goes, not only do I count that as loss, I count everything as loss. Not only do I count everything as loss, but I've actually suffered the loss of everything. And I'm telling you, Christ is better. And then he takes it even a step further. He goes, no, no, I don't just suffer the loss, count it loss. He goes, I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, 
Honestly, I believe that word rubbish is a terrible translation um, because no one says rubbish unless you're from England or something. You know, it's just we don't we don't say rubbish. And, 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 the, and the thing is, you know, for our day and age, that's not the word. This word, you've got to understand how strong it is. It's the only time it's used in scripture, scubalos. And it is the most vile form. What it refers to is animal excrement. Paul was looking for the most disgusting term he could think of to, to talk about all of his you know, gifts and abilities and everything else and all of his achievements. He goes, it's all dog crap. Really, that's what it all amounts to. And honestly, I was even thinking about this word. I was telling my wife yesterday, I go, you know what? For me to really be biblical and accurate, I would have to say something worse. And the only reason why I don't is because some of you would walk out of this room. That's all you'd remember. And you would miss the focus of this passage. Seriously. You would. You'd say, ooh, Francis said the S word. You know, it, you would. And because somehow you've built this Christian thing where, okay, that's Christianity, you know. And uh, I'll probably say it at seven. But um, it's this idea... But, but I, I want you to understand, this is how strongly Paul expresses this in his day. He goes, all this stuff that people brag about and think is so wonderful, I think it's dog crap. That's what it amounts to. He goes, this righteousness that they're creating for themselves, he goes, I've done that. I've done that and more. And I look back and go, you know, that's, that's, that's nothing. I, I, I count that. I, I don't want anything to do with it because I found something so much greater. This is Christ. And I, and I guess I got to ask you, I mean, do you really, you really think this way? I mean, do you really look at all the things that we hold in such high regard and the world looks at high regard? If you're athletic, do you just go, man, I just don't even care. If, if you, you spend a lot of money and time on your, on your appearance, you know, do you just go, man, I used to be so into how good I look and how good my, you know, my hair is or what my body, whatever, not my hair, but you know, it's just, it's just, oh, I used to be so into that. I'm just so disgusted. I, I so used to be into all these great moral acts and good deeds I used to do and think I'm such a good person. I used to think, wow, look at how I climbed this corporate ladder. Look at all these things I've achieved. Look at all my stuff. I used to just love stuff. And now really it's, it's like a big pile of crap to me. Everything, everything I ever owned, everything I ever had, every, you know, and yet I, I don't really see that in the church. I see us not really looking at those things the same way that Paul did with such a disgust and just going, man, I don't care. Man, don't you see the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ and his righteousness? And that's why I love the next verse. Oh, I've been focused on this verse for weeks now, and I just can't get it out of my mind where Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul goes, you know, I just want to know him. I want to know him, and I want to camp on that for a second. I want to know him, that I may know him. A lot of people come to church for the wrong reasons. It's not because you want to know him. It's because you want something from him. You don't love him. 
You don't have the first idea of what David says in Psalm 63 where he goes, man, it's like my soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It's like I'm in a desert and I'm so thirsty, but I don't, more than I want water, I want you, God. It's like I want to know him. I want to know him. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, yeah, you, it's the idea of, yeah, I'm starving, whatever, but I'd rather know Jesus. I want to know him. And I got to ask, man, did you come here for him? And, and, and maybe you didn't come here for that reason. Maybe you came because of some other things. And that doesn't even really matter. We're glad you're here. The question is, is once you get here, what are you after? And what makes you come back? Because I'll tell you, churches fill their rooms every week with promises of money or health. And so people go, well, you know what? I'll go to church if... If God will heal me, if God will heal my child, I'll come to church if if God can get me a job in this economy. I will come to church if God will give me. And especially overseas, that type of heresy is being preached all over the world. So now I've got these impoverished nations where preachers are promising, hey, just come, just come, just follow Jesus and he'll make you rich. And so people are coming in droves because they're saying, you know what, I'll take Jesus if he'll get me rich. I'll take Jesus if I get to keep all the things I have, if I get to, you know, maintain this lifestyle, hold on to some of these sins, maybe this immoral relationship. If I can still hold on to that and still keep Jesus, still be popular, still have this, I'll take Jesus. I'll come to Jesus if, I'll come Jesus if. You guys, you got to understand, the biblical gospel has never been about I'll come to Jesus if I'll believe in Jesus. If it's about I'll follow Jesus even if. Even if I lose everything. Okay? Even if it means I lose my family. Even if I deteriorate. Even if people are throwing rocks at me. Even if I lose everything I own. I still want Jesus because he's that great. I'll follow him even if I lose everything. And that's the biblical gospel. As those of us who found a treasure in Jesus Christ that is so wonderful that with great joy we go, take everything. I don't care. That's just a big load of crap anyways. I found a field. I found a treasure. So wonderful. Are you telling me that I can have a relationship with the creator of the universe? He'll forgive me of everything I've ever done. He'll welcome me into this eternal kingdom. Give that to me. Give that to me and take everything else. And Paul says, yeah, I've lost everything, but I don't really care because there's a surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus and I am consumed with knowing him. He goes, I want to know him. And while you guys are focused on what you were able to do by your own power, oh, look at this, I achieved this work. He goes, I want to know the power of his resurrection. You think that's powerful, what you've done and you've achieved? He goes, I'm looking for a greater power. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Don't you want that? Don't you just go, you know, I'm tired of what I can accomplish by my own power. I want something more. I want, to, I want Jesus. I'm consumed with this thought that here's this body that was destroyed, that was beaten, that was crucified, and somehow it rose from the grave. And then somehow Paul says that the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead now dwells inside of us. See, if you came here thinking, well, you know what, I'll go to church. It'll, it'll help me have a better self-image or whatever. You're missing it. 
You're, you're missing. It's, it's not about you finding some power within yourself. We're talking about a power that's outside of you. We're talking about the power of the resurrection. Okay, these are not just a couple little teachings that will help you out in life. We're talking about an intense power that can take a dead body and cause it to rise from the grave and say, okay, so somehow I can experience that. Paul goes, I don't care about all this stuff you can do. I want to know Christ. I want to know this power that we're talking about, the power of the resurrection. I want to experience that. I don't know about you, but I'm just so bored of what I can pull off by my own power. You ever just feel that? Like, okay, I, I know I can do this. I can know. I'm just bored of myself. It's like, God, I want to experience you. And hopefully you didn't come in this room thinking that we were going to talk about you and how great you are and, and you know, build you up. We're here to build up Jesus Christ and somehow to, to, to know him and to get his power, the power of his resurrection to be a part of that. Everything else doesn't matter. Now, I'm willing to bet, I'd bet my house on this, which is crap anyways, right? Um, But I'm willing to bet that most of you would actually prefer that the verse ends right there. The Philippians 3.10 would just stop right there. That, hey, I want to know Christ. And we're like, yeah, amen, I want to know him. And the power of his resurrection. Big amen there. Yeah, I want to know his power. But it doesn't stop there. And may share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And may share. I may. I get the opportunity to share in his suffering. Well it concludes with. To attain this resurrection from the dead. Which again. Amen right. To spend eternity with him. But when we go through this passage. It's typically. Yeah I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. You know the fellowship of his sufferings. And then this resurrection. And we just kind of want to breeze over this. Sharing his sufferings part you guys. And we're making a big mistake. By skipping over this. There is a beauty in this. Of It's interesting. Because when that word for may share. His sufferings. This, this word for share is the word koinonia, where we get the word fellowship. To fellowship in his sufferings. And, and I'll be honest with you, when I first heard about Christianity and started following Jesus, I, I didn't want any suffering. I, I really didn't. No one even told me that I needed to suffer or that there would be any suffering. I was a product, as many of you were, of the, hey, Jesus loves you wonderful plan for your life and that means fun happy you know fulfilling it means all of that and uh and just pray this prayer and and uh you know party on it's it's just that's that's it you know it's like all right you know and i even remember praying i think i've shared this with you before becoming a christian in high school and saying to god himself i'm so glad that i'm a follower of you i'm so glad i get to heaven and my first, one of my first prayers was, God, please don't take away any of my friends or my popularity. It took me a long time to get here. 
And I still remember asking God for that. Like, I want Jesus, but I don't want to actually follow him or become like him. Because at that time, we were creating a new brand of Christianity that says you can call yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus and not have to necessarily follow him. That somehow we can be followers of Christ and yet look nothing like him. And our lives look nothing like his. And yet we've created a way to feel peace about that. And so I was a product of that too. And so a verse like this, you go, man, share in his sufferings. That you get the opportunity of the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. But do you understand, Paul was so consumed with Christ, which we ought to be also and see him as such a great treasure. And and this idea of if suffering will draw me closer to Christ, if there's a closer fellowship in that, then I'll experience through suffering. Then I want that because I want Jesus. And I think about this fellowship. Okay, this this bond, this, this unity with him. Can you imagine, I was trying to think of this. Remember when Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to go to the cross. Devastating time. I'm going to go to the cross. Okay, what if I was there? And what if you were there and Jesus said to you, I want you to suffer the cross with me. I don't want to go to the cross by myself. I want you to be next to me the whole time. And everything to happen to you as it happens to me because I want that fellowship with you. And I try to think, would I want that? Like most of you, I've watched the passion of the Christ and watched through all of that pain. It just makes us sick to our stomachs. But then I thought, what would it be like if if Jesus was stretched out there and people are beating him and his face is right there and I'm stretched out too and they're beating me. Like, you want to talk about fellowship? You want to talk about a bond that would happen between the Son of God and I as we're looking each other in the eyes and suffering together and we're sharing in the suffering? Can you imagine Imagine the intimacy you would have one-on-one with the Son of God. Imagine as, as you're walking up this hill carrying this crossbeam and he's beside you, the things you would talk about, just the looks on each other's eyes. Can you imagine that type of intimacy with Jesus? Can you imagine if someone hammers a, a nail into his hands and he's screaming and then they do it to you, but you're looking at each other. And can you imagine the fellowship of sharing in that type of suffering together? Can you imagine the, the closeness you would feel with Jesus? You're hanging on a cross next to him. That type of fellowship, that type of intimacy. And, and, and this may sound crazy to you, and I'm certainly not a guy that enjoys pain. But I look at that and I go, you know what, I would love that. I really would. Can you, can you imagine the security you would have of being side by side with the Son of God? And what fellowship and what you know, connection you would have with the creator of the universe. And I looked at that and go, God, I actually want that. And yet the truth is, is I don't believe this is something that, would, that just can't happen because it was, you know, I can't go to the cross at the same time as Jesus. No, because here's the thing. I've been, I've been reading on, like different biographies and 
and different people who talk about, you know, at the moment when they were really suffering for the sake of the gospel. I was reading the other day about this guy, Bruce Olson, who, you know, he was in this hut and they were shooting arrows at him. The people that he was trying to minister to. And, and it's getting through the hut, but it's not piercing his skin and killing him. It's just, it's just tremendous pain. It's just like, ah. And he just thought he was going crazy, going, God, what am I doing here? I'm trying to witness these people that are trying to kill me and everything else. And he just said, at that moment, like something happened where it was like Jesus was right there revealing the cross to him. And somehow he experienced the cross like in no other way. Like there was a fellowship going on that, 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 that happened with the suffering. It's like, remember when I told you guys, when I came back to Korea and I told you about how I had dinner with that guy who was imprisoned by the Taliban with the rest of the Koreans and, and how they were, they were being killed one at a time and, and, and how they were put in those cells and, and, and separated. And remember how I shared that those guys, now that they've been back and they've been rescued and they're back in Seoul and they've been there for over a year now, how those people one at a time went to this pastor and said, don't you wish we were still imprisoned by the Taliban? And they said, we were so close to Jesus. They said, I was so close to Jesus at that time. And I've tried to experience that again, but I can't experience it when I'm comfortable. I wish I was still in that cell guarded by the Taliban because I was so close to Jesus. And that's better than all this other stuff. And then it reminds me of, uh, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that? As they stood and they wouldn't bow to those idols. They weren't going to worship this idol. And so they're thrown in this pit of fire. And remember what happens when they throw them in that fiery furnace. They go, wait a second. We threw three of them down there. Why are there four people there? Because there was a fellowship taking place in the midst of the suffering. Remember Stephen. When Stephen was sharing the gospel and people were so angry at him and they're all just about ready to throw these rocks at him and be stoned to death. And suddenly he goes, I see Jesus. He's going, no way. I'm looking into the sky. You guys are going to think I'm nuts, but I'm looking in the sky right now. I can see the son of man sitting next to the throne of God. And there was this fellowship with Jesus during the suffering that he had never had in the rest of his life. And so Paul is saying, man, I want Christ so badly. And I, I I want to experience, man, the suffering and the fellowship with him that comes through suffering. Because the truth is, is we're not going to experience those things outside of experiencing the sufferings of Christ. And so those of us who want Jesus bad enough, we go, I, I actually want it. And I can pray to God and say, God, I, I want some of that suffering. I do. I want, to, I want to experience. Man, God, I found in Christ something so great that I think the more I suffer for his name's sake the more Christ I'll get. And Christ is so good and I rejoice in Christ. And this is Paul writing about Christ while he's in prison, chained to a guard and go, man, give it to me because Christ is better than all that stuff. Everything you ever wanted. Because what I didn't want from this morning is for us to, to leave here. And as Christians, we're really good at saying these things. We just are. We'll say things we don't really mean. Um, Because we'll say, and I don't want you to say this if you don't mean it. 
will say, oh, I want suffering because that type of suffering will bring me more of Christ. Don't just say it. Because a lot of people have said these things, but then they do everything in their lives to avoid suffering. We run from suffering because we don't believe that Christ is better than our comfort. We'll say we want the sufferings of Christ, but we'll do everything to avoid the sufferings of Christ. We'll avoid persecution by just not sharing our faith. We don't want the persecution of Christ. And because we don't want the persecution of Christ, we don't share Christ with other people because we don't want to be persecuted or rejected. We don't want to share in the poverty of Christ. Who wants to be poor like Christ was? And so we'll, we'll, we'll gather up as much for ourselves and just give a little bit of our leftovers because we want to make sure to avoid the poverty of Christ. We want to avoid the humiliation, the pain. We just set ourselves up so that, so that our lives at the end, it really doesn't look anything like Christ. And Paul's the opposite. Paul's saying, I want it all. If I, I, I want to suffer like he did because I want to rise like he did. I, I want to know Christ. I want everything about him. I'm consumed with him. I'm obsessed with him. And so what I'd like us to do, to, to, you know, as, as you spend time worshiping God or whatever, is to be honest with him. It's not like we, we're, we're going to trick him. Um, you know, but to tell, to tell God, you know, God, I actually, I, I like Jesus and I want some Jesus, but not to the point of suffering. Tell him that. And tell him, that, tell him that that's not your heart right now. But if you would like to be that obsessed with Jesus, tell him, I want to get this way, though. I'm not there. I don't want Christ's suffering. I don't want his sacrifice. I don't want his poverty. I don't want his persecution. I just, I don't, I, I don't, I want the crown of gold without the crown of thorns. I want, I want the, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection. I want to experience the resurrection and I want to skip this part. Tell him, but tell him if you also know that that's not right and that, that you want to be consumed with Christ and you believe that he's better than your comfort, that this is a good thing. Because I'm at a point now where I come before God and I even pray and say, God, you know, I don't want to die without more suffering. Because I believe there's more of you to experience. And I know that once the suffering comes, as it has been coming, I, I don't enjoy it as much as I thought I might. Um, but I'm not focused like I should be. And I have just prayed to God, God, I don't want to end my life so comfortably. I, I, want, I want to know Christ. I want to know his power. And I want to know his suffering because I want to somehow attain this end that he got. I want it all. I want everything of Jesus. And if that's you, then pray for that. And if that's not you, then pray for that. But let's be honest in our words. And even as we move into a time of baptism, understand for those of you who today say, you know what? I do see Jesus as such a great treasure and I'll sacrifice everything for him. I'll follow him even if. If that's you, then come and get baptized. Because baptism, really, what's it a picture of? It's a picture of what? Death. See, I'm done. I'm done with that old life. It's all junk. It's all garbage. I, I, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm done with my own righteousness. I'm done with everything. I just want to be consumed with Jesus Christ. So I'm dying to that old me. I want to rise up. And I want that resurrection. But first, I'm going to die to myself and rise 
for the glory of God. And if that's you, then during this time, you know what? You can come forward and get baptized, but understand the commitment you're making. It's not, hey, come, follow Jesus, and maybe he'll give you everything you want. Everything you want. No, follow Jesus, and maybe he'll take, take away everything you want and give you something better. Understand that Jesus Christ is the prize. Okay? Jesus Christ is better than all of that other stuff and whatever else you're striving for. And I hope that you find a joy in the Lord that you'll find in nothing else. And if that's you, then come and pray with us. The rest of us, let's express some of these things to Jesus. And maybe the words on the screen don't really reflect your heart. Then maybe you need to pray and say, God, that's not really true of me. And I don't want to lie and sing these songs and pretend that Jesus is everything to me. Because I just, I really love a lot of stuff. And I don't count it all as rubbish. God, change me. And just make that your prayer. God knows. God knows because it takes an act of him to change our hearts. And cause us to fall madly in love with him. And that's what I've been praying for this morning. Let's worship him.